Chapter Twenty Three of Cutlass and Cudgel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cutlass and Cudgel by George Manville Fenn. Chapter Twenty Three. A strange, depressing sensation came over the young prisoner as he stood there once more alone, but he turned sharply round with his teeth set, thought for a few moments about his course back and then, feeling more determined and firm, walked slowly on, and, to his great delight, found that it was possible to become educated to do without sight, for each time that he thought he was near a pillar, he stretched out his hand to find that he touched it, and with very little difficulty he walked straight up to the old sail, felt about, and there was the basket of food, which he attacked at once, and soon fell asleep. Four more visits were paid him by Ram, but whether they were at intervals of days or half-days the prisoner could not tell, for any questions he asked were laughingly evaded, and all attempts at persuasion and bribery proved useless. He did learn that the cutter had just returned and gone away again, and it seemed to him that he was forgotten, but he never thoroughly lost heart, and during this time he had accustomed himself to the darkness, and educated his feet wonderfully in the topography of the place. Of one thing he had fully satisfied himself, and that was the hopelessness of getting out by the way his visitors came in. They were too cautious ever to leave the door unguarded. Hence the prisoner felt that if he knocked down and stunned the frank, good-tempered boy, who seemed disposed to be the best of friends in every way but that of helping him to escape, he would be no nearer freedom than before. He had gone up the slope twice and the last time crept near enough to see that Ram was climbing up a well-like shaft by means of rugged projections in the wall, that as he got about twenty feet up he handed the lanthorn to the man, climbed out through a square opening, and then a trap-door was shut down, locked and bolted, and what sounded to be a number of heavy pieces of stone were drawn over. As far as he could judge, after venturing up and nearly having a severe fall in the darkness, Escape was impossible that way. So he returned after each trial to think and come to the conclusion that if the place had been used for the purpose of digging out stone, of which there could be no doubt, there must be some other way by which the great pieces had been dragged up to daylight. With a lanthorn or torch he might easily have satisfied himself upon this point. To achieve it without was a terribly risky task. Still, he determined to try and after a hasty meal, directly his jailers had paid their last visit, he started off in the opposite direction to that which led to the trap-door, and proceeding cautiously, taking the precaution to keep on throwing pieces of stone before him, to satisfy himself that there was no well or pit in his way, he went on and on. Now he threw a piece of stone to his left hand, to his right, and after going many yards at what was but a snail's pace, he discovered that the place had suddenly contracted, and after creeping a little farther, the place was more contracted still, and ascended. So narrowed was it now that a couple of steps in either direction enabled him to touch a wall, while about twenty short paces farther on the ascent grew much more straight, and there was no fear of a pit or shaft in the way, for he found that roughly square blocks of stone were laid like a flight of steps, up which he clambered, and then sunk down overcome by the feeling of joy which had flooded his brain. He must have come up quite fifty feet after ascending the slope along which he had walked, and here he was at the top of the flight of clumsy stairs on a kind of platform of rugged stones, 
and straight before him there was a chink so narrow that he could not have thrust a hand through it, but wide enough to allow the passage of a gleam of light. There was a familiar odor, too, of salt air and seaweed, and as he placed his ear to the chink he could hear, as if far below, the wash of water. "'Why, this must be at the side of the cliff,' he said joyously, and if he could enlarge that crack there would be a way out to the face of the rocks, where it would go hard with him indeed if he could not climb up to the grassy fields above, or down to the shore below. "'Why didn't I try this before?' he cried. "'Oh, how foolish! Not get out, eh? I'll soon show them that.' And he began to feel about carefully all over the face of the stones before him, to satisfy himself before long that there had been a large roughly square opening here, which had been filled in with some pieces of stone, between which he could feel that there was mortar. Now then, what I want is a good marlin spike or an iron bar. Oh, if I had my dirk here, I could move them with that. But he had neither bar, marlin spike, nor dirk, nothing but his hands and a small pocket knife. So a depressing feeling of vexation humbled him for a time. He soon cast that off, though, for it was impossible to feel low-spirited in the face of such a discovery and before commencing the task he had in hand, he knelt down with his face close to the chink to drink in the delicious sea air. "'I wonder how long I shall be a prisoner,' he said aloud, and he laughed, for he could see no difficulties now. Still they began to appear soon after, and the first one he mentally saw was the coming of Ram with his food. He must know the place thoroughly, as he had shown by the care with which he threaded his way among the loose stones and pillars, and if he came with his lanthorn and missed him, he might walk up there and find him at work. I'll be careful, he said to himself, and taking out his knife, forcing himself to believe that it was about twelve o'clock each day that the lad came, and if so, as it was about six hours, as near as he could guess, since the basket was brought, he had about a couple of hours more daylight, then the long night and all the morning, before his jailer would come again. He bitterly regretted now not having tried to time Ram's visits, forgetting that it would have been impossible to do so without light, and, unable to restrain his impatience to the extent of waiting till he came again, and watching for night from then, he went to work to try and loosen a stone by the side of the crevice, and toiled away till at the end of what seemed to be two hours the light through the crevice paled, grew dull, then dark, and for the first time for many days he knew that it was night. Cheered by his calculation being so far right, he worked and scraped out the mortar, satisfied even with getting away the tiniest scraps, feeling as he did that if he could only dislodge one stone he could bring up from below plenty of great and splinter-shaped pieces with which he could hammer and take out the rest, or enough for his body to pass through. So light-hearted did he feel, as guiding the point of his knife by his fingers, he picked and scraped away that he began to hum a tune over softly. It was as black now as it was in the deepest part of the ancient quarry, but that did not seem to matter, for it was only the darkness of evening, and if he waited there and kept on working, he would see, first of all, a long pallid ray that would grow brighter and bring, as it were, some light and hope, while as soon as he could get out of stone he would be able to see the sea, perhaps even make out the cutter, and signal. No. The boy had said that it was gone. But it would come back, and they would see his signals. A boat would come ashore, he would be fetched out of this miserable black hole. The smugglers would be captured, and he would have such a revenge on that boy Ram. It would be glorious. But all depended upon little ifs. If he could get out the stone. 
if the hole happened to be opposite the spot where the cutter was moored, if they could see his signals. It was discouraging to have such thoughts as these, but Archie Raystoke had been for days condemned to inactivity, and the opportunity of working at something definite, which proffered a way of escape, made him toil on with all his might. In fact, he was obliged to check himself, for his task needed care. Too much exercise of the strength which had been growing latent might mean breaking his knife and the destruction of his hopes. So he toiled on well into the night, picking and loosening tiny scraps of mortar, which, hard though it was, had fortunately for him been made of an exceedingly coarse sand, or rather very fine shingle, whose tiny pebbles formed each a point to work upon till it was loosened and fell. Archie's first thought was to work right on through the night, but the monotonous task in the darkness and the fatigue and excitement combined to produce their customary effect, and he found himself nodding and starting into wakefulness so many times over that he resolved at last to go back to his starting place, have a good meal, and then come back. He left his task with great reluctance, but nature would not be refused, and without much difficulty he found his way to the basket, ate heartily, sat still to think a few minutes, and thought too much, starting up suddenly and rubbing his eyes. "'How stupid of me!' he exclaimed. "'I must have just nodded off to sleep. Nearly wasted a lot of time.' Afraid to remain where he was, lest he should yield to the temptation again and fall dead asleep, he eagerly made his way back to the slope and the rough steps, to stand there wondering as he got to the top. For there, straight before him, was a pale ray of light, and the place smelt cool and fresh. Surely a star or the moon must be up, he thought, as he knelt down and resumed his task, feeling somehow a good deal rested. The explanation was not long in coming, for to his astonishment the ray of light grew brighter and brighter and broadened out full of dancing motes when he had been an hour at work, teaching him that he had not dropped off to sleep for a minute or two, but long enough to give him a good night's rest, sufficient to prepare him for the toil to come. He felt vexed and called it laziness, working the harder to recover lost time, and as the hours glided by listening intently for the slightest sound from the quarry below that should indicate the coming of Ram with his daily portion of food. On previous days he had looked forward to the lad's approach as something that would break the monotony of his captivity, but now he would have given anything to have known that by some accident the lad would be kept away. Still Archie toiled on the stone he had attacked as tight as ever, but quite a little heap of rough mortar increasing beneath where he knelt. It's only getting out the first one, he argued. The others will come easily enough. And so, full of hope, he kept on, till feeling that it must be near the time for the visit, he reluctantly closed his pocket-knife and went down, gazing back first at the tiny ray of light which pointed the way to liberty. His arms ached and his fingers were sore. There was a blister, too, in the palm of his hand where the knife had pressed, but these were trifles now, and he seated himself in his old spot, ready to receive his visitors, and so full of hope that he could hardly refrain from shouting for joy. He could see it all now. There was quite an ancient mine, one, perhaps, from which all the best stone had been worked. Where Ram came down was the land entrance, and the ray of light marked the opening in the face of the cliff, from which the pieces of stone had been lowered down into boats or ships below. After the smugglers had taken possession, it seemed probable that they had filled up the hole in the cliff face, though it struck Archie that this would leave them a handy place to get their cargoes ashore if they had tackled to haul it up, 
and get it into their store at once. The time seemed very long before the rattle and rumble of the stones on the trap-door struck upon Archie's listening ear, but at last, after he had convinced himself that he might have worked two or three hours longer, there it was, and then came the rattle of the bolts and the sharp sound of the lock. Directly afterwards there was a soft glare, the lanthorn appeared like some creature of light swaying and floating towards him in the darkness till it stopped close by, and Ram's now familiar voice exclaimed, "'Hello there! Getting hungry?' "'Yes,' said Archie, in a voice he wished to sound surly and obstinate, but which, in spite of his wishes, had a cheerful ring, which affected Ram, who began to laugh and chatter. "'Nice to be you,' he said. "'Get all the good things you do. Fried fish today and pork pie. I say, midshipman, you have got into good quarters, you have.' Archie tried to seem sulky. Oh, you needn't talk without you like, but they didn't feed you up aboard ship like you're getting it now. I know, salt beef, then salt pork, and hard biscuits. Why, it's like fattening up one of our pigs for Christmas. I say, you are quiet. Haven't been at one of them little kegs, have you? Oh, very well. If you don't like to talk, I can't make you. Are you going to let me out of this place? said the midshipman, so as to keep up the idea of his longing to be set free and chase any suspicions of his having discovered a way out. "'When I get orders, Mr. Orsifer, and not before, I aren't skipper, no more nor you are.' "'Another piece of insolence,' thought the prisoner. "'Oh, how I will pay him out for this by and by. Aren't you going to peck?' Archie took no notice, and at last there came, in a deep, echoing growl through the place, "'Say, lad, going to be all day?' "'Coming, Jemmy,' Ram shouted. "'Want anything else, midshipman?' "'Yes, you to go and not worry me,' replied Archie, heartily repenting his words the next moment, for fear that they should excite suspicion. But they did not, for Ram only laughed and walked away. End of chapter 23